BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time for another Benny J bonus interview brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. As I speak, it is Thursday, December 1st, 2022. Here's a headline. Actually, it's from yesterday's paper. Uh, but I just had so much fun with this headline when it first broke. And I know my distinguished guest is going to have a little fun with it as well. <laughs> Chicago politics. What a trip. So this is the headline in my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times. Somebody wasn't in my the real newspaper sometimes, just saying. But it was on the Internet. I didn't see it in the real newspaper. I'm one of those subscribers that holds up the whole foundation of your enterprise by subscribing to the real newspaper. You can put news in the real newspaper. As a subscriber, I'm allowed to complain sometimes. All right, here we go. Uh, Business leaders to form political action committee to prevent city council from making sharp left turn. What a city. This is the one where they quote this guy, Mike Rumbler. I don't, I don't know who he is, but he managed Rahm Emanuel's campaign. He's going to put together some kind of pack that's going to fund centrists or right-wingers. I don't know what they're going to do. It's like, in this town, if you ever, ever, ever do anything that benefits a poor person, they hit you over the head. Because that's like the worst crime a politician could do. Stand up for someone who's broke. No. They only want you to look after rich people. Hey, Mike Rumbler, Rahm Emanuel friends, rich people, they already got a good life. They don't need city government looking out for them any more than city government already looks out for them. So the fact that you're setting up a pact that could keep the city council from electing aldermen who are going left, which is just like a dog whistle for saying progressive legislation that taxes rich people more and uses it to help poor or working class or broke ass people like me that's just a dog whistle to say i'm going to be your lapdog that's that's my uh interpretation of it of this dynamic i've seen it played out by the way i remember 2015 they had another one of these packs that were supposed to uh help fund the election re-election campaign rom's cronies they try to depict Scott Wagesback as like some kind of radical. Scott Wagesback is now the finance chair for Lori Lightfoot. That's funny how they're not going after him anymore. Isn't that interesting? Now he's Lori Lightfoot's finance chair. Nobody's going after Scott Wagesback. I remember when they went after Joe Moore. They said, dangerous radical. Then Joe Moore made his deal with Mayor Daley. They didn't go after Joe Moore anymore. Isn't that funny? All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself, and then we're going to take it from there. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Delmarie Cobb, and it's so funny you said that because I used to say that all I had to do was tell Daly I'm ready to come over, and they would hold a news conference. (laughs) (laughs) They would hold it. Yeah, man. Delmarie Cobb has been on the other side of all the powerful politicians in this city for as long as I've been in Chicago. Uh, She was 
press spokesperson for Jesse Jackson, Jesse Lewis Jackson in 1988. So I guess for his presidential campaign. So I guess, and she was uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, press secretary for Illinois in 2016, much to my disappointment because then she couldn't do my show first Tuesdays, which would have been a classic showdown between you and Carlos Ramirez Rosa, Del Marie Cobb. It would have been just unbelievable to watch the two of you debate. Uh, but you've never been on the daily team. No, never voted for him one time, the whole time he ran. And why is that? I, I wasn't going to ask you this question, but since we just something, I've, I don't think I've ever asked you this. All of the conversations we've had about politics all these years, why were you never on the, the, the daily side? Because I knew the daily was never on my side. And so I was not going to vote against my own self-interest. And so that's why I never voted for him. And I never voted for Ron. Uh, so, you know, I mean, and and I <laughs> didn't vote for the current mayor. So I'm uh, striking zero here in terms of <laughs> mayors who reflect my values. Well, I, as you know, I have a confession to make. I mean, you know what the confession is. I did vote for the current mayor. Uh, I still feel I'm striking zero on mayors who reflect my values. She told me everything I wanted to hear, Del Marie. Everything I wanted to hear, I did none of them. I suppose some people would take a lesson and then say, well, that just shows why you shouldn't vote. I, of course, don't take that as their no, lesson. No, I agree with you 100%. You have to vote. Yes, you have to vote. All right, let's just take a, a a moment before we get to that headline. Do a little promotion work. Uh, Ida's Legacy has an event coming up. And I want you to tell our listeners about it if they want to support it and go to it. Tell folks what Ida's Legacy is. Go ahead. So Ida's Legacy is a political action committee uh, that supports progressive African-American women. It was formed in 2017 following the 2016 debacle where many white women decided they weren't going to vote for Hillary. And so they didn't vote. And um, we see what where that got us, right, during the Dobbs decision. Uh, it only took four, what, six years for it to come back to, hunt, to, to bite us in the butt. But anyway, um, after that, it was white women who were protesting and marching and forming packs and doing all these things. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. You don't get to do that. You don't get to rewrite history and have buyer's remorse. The black women who voted 94% for Hillary, we get to do that. <laughs> so that's why I formed uh, the PAC to say that black women need to have a voice. We've been carrying everybody else's water all these years and it was time to carry our own water. Uh, by the way, I'm going to push back a little bit. Uh, I do never believe the exit polls, the 94% turnout for black women uh, is an exit poll based. I bet you anything it was closer to 99%. Okay. I'm just saying, uh, Delmarie, I never believe exit polls when it comes to black voters, and I never will. Uh, and so when is the event? So our, we're having, this is our fifth anniversary, uh, believe it or not. This was actually our very first event was our breakfast, our Black women's uh, uh, political and empowerment breakfast and economic empowerment breakfast. And it's on December and it's uh, on the West Side. And um, 
It's going to be at Greater Rock Missionary Baptist Church, 718 South Independence Boulevard. And I've been trying to get a location on the west side for the last five years. And I finally have a great relationship with the pastor of Greater Rock Missionary Baptist Church, Reverend Floyd James. And so he's allowing us to have our event there at 730 in the morning uh, is when we start. And at eight o'clock is the program and tickets are a hundred dollars. Uh, Delmarie Cobb uh, subscribes to the notion of the early bird gets the worm, a notion that I have quite not bought into yet. Uh, at 7.30 a.m., I will probably be going to bed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, to each his own, as they say. And uh, so, yes, uh, that's our promotion for the moment. I'll probably do another promotion for my own show later in the show. All right, let's start. Let's go back to... Uh, the headline I alluded to, the article in the Sun-Times, which was hilarious. I riffed on it earlier this week because that's where uh, this crony of Rom was talking about workhorse alderman versus showhorse alderman and workhorse alderman get the job done, which all they all he means by that is that they do whatever the business community and the mayor tell them to do. And it's like the work that they got, they get done is probably work that nobody wants them to get done in the first place. So give me a showhorse alderman all the time. And why do you think you're giving a compliment to an alderman by comparing him to a horse that's just right there i'm like these are human beings not horses i know you want to ride one but <laughs> i just i don't get the mayor ram crowd uh at all and never will uh del marie Cobb. uh but what's your general attitude about forming a pack uh to give uh greater representation that already exists for the business community the city of chicago go ahead and that's, you know, and that's, again, is an example of why I formed Ida's Legacy, because you have all these people who they are clear what they're protecting. They're, they are clear what they're fighting for. They're fighting for the status quo. They're fighting to keep their quality of life at our expense. And people who are working class, people who are poor, people who are of, a, are of color, women, they are fighting at our expense. And so we have to join forces and fight back. And this is just one way of fighting back. And it just shows you that even the, the quote about workhorse versus show horse, I mean, who's more of a workhorse than people like us who are constantly fighting the establishment, trying to make a better world? And these people aren't doing that. They're living the good life. And that's all they care about is protecting their good life. Yeah, well, I think what the hidden message, not so hidden, uh, and this is a notion that Ron put out and Daly put out. And old man, they all got it from Old Man Daly, who wrote the book on this stuff, Richard J. Daly. Uh, Richard J. Daly would always say, what problems have you, how many trees have you planted? Mm -hmm. uh, and this notion is that he alone was attacking the problems the city faces he alone was doing things for people and all of his critics were just haters who that term wasn't around then but it's people who just criticize for the sake of criticizing uh and getting on tv and never had anything of substance to say and uh that is sort of the general attitude that powerful mayors have always held toward anybody who disagrees with them uh that they're the ones who get things done and so i think that's what this uh this Rom guy is straining with his metaphor uh, to convey that they're the workhorses who get things done. I, 
I have many feelings about this notion that we need an all-powerful mayor to get things done, and we need aldermen to fall in line to do whatever that all-powerful mayor says. I'd love to hear you riff on this. Go ahead. Well, the, the reason they get things done is not because they have the interests of people or the city at heart. They get things done because they're uh, greasing palms. Uh, they're making sure that their friends are in office. They're making sure that their friends are advanced. They're making sure that everything in terms of being an elitist uh, uh, continues to happen for them. And so that's why they're able to get things done because they're in powerful places and they're able to do things that are in many cases antithetical to the masses. And so it's not that we're not getting things done. Uh, I mean, a lot of times what we're getting done is just holding them at bay. We may not be able to advance many of our issues, but if we can just hold them at bay so that they can't go any further and advance against us, that may be all we get to do, but we're doing it. Yeah, holding them at bay. Uh, that has, that's sort of what, what life has been like for uh, lefties in this town since Harold Washington died. All right, we're on the... the the eve of a mayoral election, uh, the filing deadline has passed. Now we're in the system of called challenging, uh, where the different candidates can challenge uh, the validity of the petitions uh, that their opponents have submitted. So ultimately, we do not know uh, who is on the ballot. We'll start with this. Uh, you, you, and I'll put this up there. Del Maria has no, I'll use Rahm's cronies uh, analogy. She has no horses in this race of any kind. She's neutral in the mayor's races. Uh, so let's start this. Let's just pretend, pretend you're just totally a prognosticator here. Uh, we'll start with the basics. Who do you think will get kicked off the ballot during the challenge process? Do you think we'll be startled to find that some of these uh, candidates who filed their petitions will not uh, actually clear the challenge? Oh, definitely. I mean, when you're talking about 12,500 signatures, that's a lot of signatures. And from what I understand, you know, that's more than most cities uh, in the country require. So uh, and to have 10 or 12 or 14, however many candidates running and you're each trying to get 12,500 signatures, uh, that's a you know, that's a very difficult task, um, which is why you have to get three times the number or more uh, because, you know, just the idea that I may have, I may have signed two or three different candidates petitions and depending on what day I signed them, you know, that could invalidate a signature for one candidate. So it's all of those little tricks um, that they play. Uh, you can invalidate a whole page based on who the circulator was. Uh, so, You've got to make sure that you um, cross all your T's and dot all your I's, which is why in the last uh, mayoral race, Jamal Green realized he was not going to survive the challenge against uh, that Willie Wilson was uh, forging against him. And he stepped out, stepped uh, out of the race. So I and then a couple of other people who just had difficulty, even uh, Troy LaRavier, I remember he was running. And he just couldn't even get the signatures and stepped out of the race. So, you know, it's, it's very daunting. Yeah, it is very. And Troy, a good friend of the show, uh, he announced actually on the show that he wasn't going to run. And his position was, uh, Delmarie, he, he couldn't stand fundraising. 
Uh, he had no access, easy access to money. Uh, and just to get on the ballot requires paying people to circulate your petitions. And he just said, I, I, I'm out. Uh, so it's quite a statement about democracy in Chicago. And it's changed a lot. I mean, you know, my dad worked for the Board of Elections uh, for 30 years. He was uh, in the binder department, uh, this very department. Uh, and so I heard these stories all my life. <laughs> I know how difficult it is. But, you know, but you're in a different environment. Uh, people volunteered uh, to do signatures uh, when I was a little girl. Now, you know, it's very hard to get people to volunteer. I mean, the world has changed. Uh, the quality of life is dip more difficult and and people can't get jobs. So it used to be that people would do campaigns because uh, the, the prospect of getting a job for that candidate, if in fact they won, um, that's all been taken away. And so uh, it's very difficult if you don't have the money to actually pay people and people with money pay a lot more and you just can't compete. Yeah. Uh, by the way, and also in the old, old days, uh, there was something called patronage. Uh, this is pre-Shackman, so they could just force a city worker to go out. And, if you want your job, go gather these signatures. So uh, that is no longer out there, I guess. Uh, I would say that's progress of sorts. So here's something I've never seen before, Delmarie. As you said, it takes 12,500 signatures to get on the ballot. Mayor Lori Lightfoot submitted over 40,000, but she submitted it on the last day. And in Chicago, a lot of skeptical people said, oh, if she submitted it a, a one week after that she could uh, submit it, she probably has not gathered 12,500 good ones. So now we have an alderman, an incumbent alderman, Brian Hopkins, who's not running for re-election. So that means he has a lot of free time in his hand, who has vowed to scrutinize her, Lori Lightfoot's petitions and kick her off the ballot if he can. I, I've i never seen that before. <laughs> I, help, I mean, correct me if you have a memory of an all sitting alderman who is so defiantly uh, opposing a mayor that he or she would declare he's going to go through her petitions to kick her off the ballot. I'd love your general thoughts about Brian Hopkins, second ward, north side uh, loop area ward, openly challenging Lori Lightfoot. But see, to me, that is just so um, typical of what I talk about all the time in terms of black people being relational and white people being transactional. I mean, to me, that is the perfect example of that because uh, when Lori Lightfoot was trying to stop the renaming of Lakeshore Drive um, and, and um, you know, was telling Dave, Alderman David Moore in the 17th Ward, no, she formed alliances with Brian Hopkins and Brendan Riley to stop him. She, you know, they commissioned a poll. They paid $30,000 for a poll to tell black people that even black people didn't want the name changed. And so, and so, I mean, I remember being interviewed by Cranes, uh, David being inter interviewed by Cranes to tell us that according to their poll, black people didn't even want the name changed. So why are you pushing this? You know, they joined forces to give him Millennium Park, Millennium Park. You know, they were gonna give him anything, whatever you want, we'll give you anything as long as you don't change Lakeshore Drive to DeSable. And, Lo and behold, here he is, fast forward. In fact, it didn't even take that long. I believe it was some legislation just the next day 
that Brian and uh, 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 Brendan joined forces against uh, Lori on that affected their wards. But that's what you're supposed to do. It's supposed to be about transactions. What have you done for me lately? Not about relationships. And so this is a prime example of I can be with you today and against you tomorrow. It's based on the issue. And we have got to learn to do that as African-American voters. We have got to learn to do that too. So I'm glad to see him do this. No, I have never seen it before, but I'm glad to see him do it because it just underscores what I talk about all the time. And what do you think is driving him to do it? I know what he says in the paper uh, that she doesn't get along uh, with uh, other aldermen. Uh, crime is high. Uh, in his opinion, she's got to go. Uh, do you think it's anything other than that? Or is it just a, a general attitude toward Lori Lightfoot that people are just so through with her in this city across the board? What is it that motiv motivates this opposition? Go ahead. Well, I think it's part of, partly that, um, um, you know, they, they just have had, had it with her. Uh, but the other part of it is, you know, I get upset every time he, uh, Brian Hopkins, talks about crime. First of all, and I've, I've said this on your show before, First of all, the second ward was the ward I lived in all my life. It was the ward my mother lived in all her life. And um, and to have the second ward, which is one of the most famous black wards in the city of Chicago, be taken from us and, and given to, uh, to the white community on the north side, that already pisses me off to no end. But then to have Brian Hopkins running around talking about crime and that people are going to leave the city and we have to have protection and all the things that they're he's railing about. You know, Black people are sitting scared to death. Their children can't even go outside and play. They can't sit on the porch. They can't be in their house having a birthday party without a bullet coming through. They can't eat, be a grandfather and eat ice cream with their grandchildren in the kitchen without having a bullet kill them. And so all the things that he's railing about, Black people have been living with for decades in this city, and nobody cares. He never said a word. So I cannot stand Brian Hopkinson. <laughs> uh Marie, letting it know, let it, <laughs> letting it be known. Uh, I just like to point out that Brian Hopkins is the alderman of the second ward. As Demarie said, second ward used to be on the south side. Legendary ward, as Demarie said, Oscar DePriest, alderman way, way, way back when. Uh, and uh, the second ward, of course, is the home of Lincoln Yards, the biggest uh, TIF handout subsidy of the city is uh, in this century. To, they're going to subsidize the gentrification of an already gentrifying neighborhood. That's Brian Hopkins Ward. And I don't know, man, talk about not transactional. Lori Lightfoot was not the mayor when that deal was passed, but she laid down and let it be passed. She did not oppose it. And then in the aftermath, after she was mayor, uh, and some of my lefty friends uh, from uh, Grassroots Collaborative filed suit to overturn it, she sent in the city lawyers taxpayer funded to fight the lawsuit. So this is something I, this is like, she went to bat for Brian Hopkins. That was his prized little development. He loved that development more than I love M&M's and fried chicken. He <laughs> absolutely loved that development, okay? And now look how he's treating her. Del Marie, this really does underscore your point about transactional politics and the difference between blacks, blacks and whites. I mean, entitlement, I think, is the word that you're getting at 
You get what I'm saying? This man, this mayor basically ushered in this development that his war did doesn't even deserve, taking it from south side neighborhoods, west side neighborhoods, that that economic development dollars, and he's still against her. I- Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you and you and I have talked about that, Tiff. I mean, the, the number is just mind-blowing. Uh, to create a community, you're gonna create a community uh, as if a community needed to be created over there. And 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 here the black community, you know, the black communities on the south and west side get nothing. And you know, I mean, when you look at the comparison. It's very little. Uh, yes, invest Southwest, it's great. But it's a drop in the bucket compared to the money that is given to uh, white communities for new developments. And it's bastardizing the whole TIF, the whole idea of TIFs, which was never meant to build infrastructure for people who are already rich. It was supposed to be to incentivize people to invest in blighted communities. So the whole idea that that's what that money is being used for, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And and, and it was Daly and it was Rom and it's now Lori who have used it for their political gain and not for the political gain of the community. Well put. All right. Uh, so let's uh, let's do a little analysis of this race. I've been saying for the longest time that it's going to be a runoff, and I presume Lori Lightfoot would be in the runoff, that she would be, Lori Lightfoot would be one of the two candidates in the runoff. Now I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really having a, it's, I have a hard time uh, making sense of this early on, Delmarie. So what's your sort of preliminary take on, like, which candidates are best positioned to make the runoff and how they will get there? Go ahead. Well, you know, there's going to be a top tier group and then there's going to be the next tier of candidates, as there always is. And they always shape out. Um, so the top tier will probably be uh, Willie Wilson because he has five million dollars of his own money and he did well in the last election. Um, it'll be Lori, of course, because she's the incumbent. Uh, it'll be Brandon Johnson uh, because he's going to have the financial backing of many of the unions. And it will be Jesus Chuy Garcia. I mean, so if I were going to say that you have the top four in this race, those would be the top four that I see the race coming down to. Now, most notably absent uh, from that list uh, is Paul Ballas. Uh, I will give the argument not for voting for Paul Ballas, heaven forbid, but for why he's a candidate to be in the top tier. And I will just use one word, MAGA. <laughs> Donald Trump got 15% of the vote out of the city of Chicago. 15%. Paul Vallis is the MAGA man in this race. Uh, he's pals with Jeannie Ives, and uh, he's uh, pals with the Fraternal Order of Police. So, I mean, all you got to do is, I don't know, they make the runoff. You don't yep. need an overwhelming majority. Go ahead. No, I agree with you. I mean, he might um, be able to get the conservative vote whatever conservative vote there is in the city of Chicago. But, um, you know, his candidacy, as far as I'm concerned, in the black community should be dead on arrival uh, because he is the beginning of the closings, the closing of Chicago schools, the Renaissance 2010. He is the architect behind that, along with Daly. And so black people cannot forget that. 
uh, we are still uh, suffering from the remnants of that. I mean, I believe that there's a direct correlation between the closings of the schools, the decrease in student population, and the increase of violence on the streets. There is a direct correlation between those three things. And we are all suffering from it. And he was the beginning of it. Uh, Paul Vallis was the CEO of the Chicago Public Schools uh, during the time of Mayor Daley. Uh, he left and uh, they brought in Arnie Duncan. Uh, and I actually think uh, Renaissance 20, uh, it may have been under Arnie Duncan, but I mean, they're all daily appointees. Start, like, yeah. Well, it started under Vallis and then Arnie Duncan. Took it over. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, a very curious thing here in the city of Chicago. Uh, I'm getting, I enjoy this. Uh, you have at least two candidates in the race who are embracing the legacy of Harold Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that Del Marie and I agree on, he's the greatest mayor city of Chicago has ever had. More and more people are, are saying that, by the way, Del Marie. Uh, but we have two candidates in the race who are openly embracing that legacy. Uh, one is Jesus Chuy Garcia, Congressman Garcia, and the other is Cook County uh, Commissioner Brandon Johnson, uh, who is running with the support of Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, your thoughts in general about the renaissance of Harold Washington. All of a sudden, he is so loved in the city of Chicago. Take it away, Demory. Well, certainly the documentary Punch Nine is responsible for that. And the timing was very good for some people in terms of letting us know the relationship that they had with Harold Washington. I actually worked on both uh, Jesus Chuy Garcia's campaign. Uh, I volunteered on that campaign. I volunteered on Miguel de Valle's campaign. Uh, both of them had great relationships with uh, Harold Washington. I, I told, I advised both of them at the time to talk about their relationships, to let the black community know their relationship, the relationships that they had with Harold Washington. And, and neither one of them was able to do it, mainly because they didn't have the money to frame the relationship. And, and people don't seem to understand, a lot of times they don't understand that every five years you have to let people, you have to re-educate the voter. Because if I'm 15 five years ago, and this is my first time voting, I don't know nothing about you. <laughs> you know, at 15, I wasn't even paying attention to you. Um, but now, all of a sudden, it's my responsibility to vote. And, I, and, and unless you tell me your history, I'm not going to know your history. And so that was the thing I kept saying to them. You've got to tell your history because there is this chasm between the black and brown community that daily created through the Hispanic Democratic Organization. And one of the reasons he created it because he wasn't going, he wasn't getting the black vote. So he didn't get the black vote between 1989 and 2002 or 2000, yeah, 2003, he didn't get the black vote. And, um, and uh, his goal was 60% of the black vote, I believe he got in 2003. And so he had to make alliances with the Latino community. And that's when the decrease of city jobs, you started seeing black people losing those jobs. It was the widening of the loop. And there's been studies shown that the eighth ward, the sixth ward, the seventh ward, the fifth ward, all those black wards that had major middle-class communities that were stable and, and values, middle-class values in terms of education, homes, uh, all of those things, that be began to decrease because those jobs began to decrease. And so there's a direct correlation there between the chasm that was created, 
which is why, you know, when black people look out their window and they see Latinos working and they're standing on the corner out of work, of course there's going to be resentment. And that's what we see. And that was deliberate. That is a great analysis. I'm with you 100% on that. And this is the, the genius, if you will, of Daly's political organization. Oh, not a genius in a positive way. And it's probably an overstatement to call it a genius. How about the cunning of Mayor Daly's organization? Uh, I remember 2007, a daily ally, uh, a daily puppet, Forrest, Clay, Forrest Claypool, ran against John Stroger. Follow me this, ladies and gentlemen. I know it's ancient history, but it's of relevance, okay? Uh, 2006, I want to say. Uh, Claypool ran against uh, John Stroger for the head of Cook County Board as a quote-unquote reformer who was going to clean up county government and rid it of patronage and get rid of uh, county jobs and uh, do uh, privatize more services, okay? Which was code words for fire black people. Right. <laughs> okay, John Strong, that's where the black patronage was in the county. That's how Daly did it. He let John Stroger control that stuff. Meanwhile, on the city side, you had the Hispanic Democratic Organization doling out contracts, putting their people on the payroll. In other words, they were building a patronage army. So on one hand, patronage is bad when it's black run. And the other hand, patronage is good when it's in a, a coalition of Hispanics and whites. One of the most cynical, hypocritical political moves uh, I've seen. And guess what? My beloved North Side neighbors fell for it hooked line and sinker Delmarie Cobb. Right. Sides all over the north side. Claypool. Claypool. I proudly voted for Stroger, even though he was in a coma at the time. I am proud to say I voted for John Stroger because I thought that was one of the most hypocritical maneuvers that Daily Machine had done. Just so blatantly playing black people against Hispanic people and white people siding with the Hispanics. That's my analysis of it. Do you agree? No, that's absolutely right. And it goes back to what I, we were talking about earlier in terms of people volunteering for campaigns and why they used to volunteer for campaigns because of, of patronage. So this whole notion that when when all of a sudden patronage became wrong and a terrible thing, uh, the only people that hurt were black people because everybody else knows how to work around it. Because if you're in control and you're the, you have the levers of power, you know how to get your people in and they do. They have always gotten their people in. And so the only people who who suffered from the lack of patronage and patronage didn't mean that you didn't work. It just meant that you got an opportunity to work. So patronage was not a bad word in terms of creating opportunities for people. I mean, because you can go down to you can go to uh, O'Hara now. Uh, black people had skycap jobs and other jobs at the airport. Well, go to O'Hara now and find and see how many Middle Eastern uh, Europeans you see in those jobs that black people used to have. So what would your advice be to Jesus Chuy Garcia? He did very poorly against Mayor Rahm in 2015 uh, in getting the black vote. In part, uh, Barack Obama played a huge role in that campaign, coming out strong for Rahm with the commercials. So I understand that. Absolutely. That's not going to be happening now. What would your advice be to Jesus Chuy Garcia in terms of winning over uh, black support. Well, I actually have no advice for Jesus <laughs> Chewy Garcia this time around because I'm very disappointed in um, uh, since that campaign. Um, when 
uh, David Moore, as you know, I was doing David Moore's campaign for Secretary of State. When David Moore ran for Secretary of State, uh, Jesus Chuy Garcia supported uh, Alexi Janulius. And, um, and so my position on that is, uh, where was Alexi Janulius when you were running in 2015? I can tell you where David was. David was standing next to you. So, um, you know, I have a problem with that. Give, at least give David a heads up and let him know what you're going to do. Just don't do it. Um, then there was the uh, Robin Kelly uh, event, uh, uh, making sure that uh, Robin Kelly didn't remain chair of the uh, Democratic Party for the state of Illinois. Um, so there's there's several things that uh, Jesus has done that I'm just not very happy with. And, uh, and it was Karen Lewis who brought him out of the political wilderness. Again, going back to what I had said earlier, uh, nobody knew who Jesus Chuy Garcia was. Uh, those of us who are junkies knew, but the majority of people didn't know who he was until Karen Lewis lifted him up. And the CTU came along and supported him, which is why he was able to uh, uh, get uh, Rom into a runoff. He couldn't have done it on his own. He did it because of them. And then in uh, 2019, when he had an opportunity uh, to uh, support Tony Pretwinkle, he supported Lori Lightfoot. And, and so, and Tony Pretwinkle was the CTU candidate. So the very people who helped you, who fed your campaign are the very people who you then snubbed in 2019. So, I mean, I have a, I just have a real problem with how these chess pieces are being moved around, <laughs> around the board. That was a great ref. Uh, students of Chicago politics, you want to know what she's getting at when she talks about transactional versus relations, relational? Just listen to that riff. <laughs> Just listen to that riff. All right, so uh, let's get to Brandon Johnson, who's on the show about a week ago. Uh, he is the Cook County Board Commissioner from the West Side, uh, Chicago Teachers Union activist, and um, I've known him forever, it seems like, uh, long before he got into politics. So what would your advice be to him in terms of reaching beyond your lefty base uh, to get the votes you need to be mayor of Chicago. Well, it's so funny. I saw him at a news conference the, the other day and I almost had to laugh uh, because he is actually channeling Harold <laughs> Washington. And uh, I mean, it was just so, it was just funny to me <laughs> watching him channel him. Uh, <laughs> Which is great. I mean, I certainly don't have a problem with that. But it was just, it was just uh, amazing to behold. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I love Harold. I used to channel Harold all the time, Brandon, back in the day in the 80s. Oh, my God. Everybody had a Harold uh, imitation. He was such a great, great, great leader. I, I love, man, I'm just on a tangent. Coming over here and it would say, Mayor Harold Washington. Right. You know, and like, <laughs> yeah, it's our mayor. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, so he's channeling mayor. I don't know if that's going to really work. Uh, just channeling Mayor Harold Washington to get you to the finish line uh, in a two-way race. I think you got to do a little more than just channel Harold Washington. First of all, there's only so many oldsters like myself who remember Harold Washington. Right. Uh, I know he's huge in my life, but the reality is, Delmarie, uh, most millennials 
hardly know who he is at all unless they've seen Punch Nine, which right. they all watch. And I think that should be required viewing for every student in the city of Chicago, in Chicago public schools. Uh, it really should be required viewing. So that they can get an op opportunity to see one, what the community did to make it happen, uh, because we the people growing up now have never seen that kind of coalescing. Uh, we're so fractured, uh, and we have been ever since he died. And so, one, they need to see that. One, they need to see their own power, what it means when you coalesce and build your own power base for somebody who's from your own community, not from somewhere else, not, not somebody that somebody told you you should support, but somebody who looks like you, came from you, and is going to represent you. Um, they need to see that, how that can happen. And they need to see um, what it meant to be a progressive in terms of how people felt about him, because they really felt that he was going to address their needs. And he was showing that he was making the neighborhoods a priority. One thing that came out of that movie, now we're talking Punch Nine, uh, is the role that Ed Burke, Alderman Ed Burke played in the opposition to Harold watching something that most millennials have no idea about, or much as ease, or maybe even some Gen Xers, they don't know. Uh, and that uh, Ed Burke was the leader of the faction of white aldermen that just were willing to sabotage the city sabotage the Harold Washington administration in order to guarantee that Harold would not win re-election. Uh, Ed Burke just recently uh, declined to run for re-election, so it's the end of his era in politics. I have many thoughts on this. I would just love to hear a Delmarie Cobb riff on the life and times and legacy of Alderman Ed Burke. Well, you know, it's just so interesting um, to, to, to live long enough <laughs> that we've lived long enough to see these evolutions. Um, and um, it was interesting, especially going back to the to 2019 race. Um, and all of a sudden, because one of the reasons Lori Lightfoot won was because of uh, Ed Burke and Tony Prattwinkle. Mm -hmm. and, and the fact that um, Ed Burke was indicted and then they tried to uh, muddy up uh, Tony uh, in terms of relationship because of a fundraiser that was held at his house. And anybody who knows politics, who has followed both of them, knows that in the 20 years that, that Tony Pretwinkle was in the city council, they were far from friends. They were probably on the opposite side of every issue. Uh, she never had a chairmanship because you don't get chairmanships if you're, if you're not a good soldier. You only get chairmanships if you're gonna do what you're told. And so, um, you know, it's just interesting to see that here's somebody who uh, was, he did everything to, to thwart uh, Harold Washington at every turn. Um, his, first his first term in office uh, was nothing but one fight after the other. And, um, and it wasn't until the second term that we really were going to see the light of day. We were going to really see what all the fight was about and all the struggle. And unfortunately, we never got a chance to see that because he died. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to, you know, for that, I could never like Ed Burke. I mean, there's nothing Ed Burke could ever do, you know, to me to ever like him uh, because of his role that he played, he and Berdoli, Eddie Berdoliak played in um, making sure that Harold was, uh, you know, not successful 
at anything he tried to do initially. And when they try to explain it, that it wasn't about race, it was about power. Uh, what I always say to young people who say that to me is, well, who had the power? White people had the power, which then makes it about race. So you cannot say it wasn't about race. I, when I hear that, uh, they say that, a couple of people say that in a movie, Punch Nine. Right. I know. I just, I go, that you are feeding the people a lot of BS with that because you're, it, it, at the very least, you're using racial fears and hatreds to gain power. And that's about race. <laughs> right. Follow what I'm saying. So don't tell me, that's like when people tell me, I bet I don't see black and I don't see white. Oh. I, <laughs> I'm like, well, are you kidding me? Uh, so, yeah. I, I hear you, Del Marie. Eddie Verdoliak used to go around saying that uh, to me. Oh, it's not. It's power. It's not race. But everybody knew. You right. Know what I'm everybody knew. Right. And and the other part of that, and and this is what this mayor is doing, um, is then trying to rewrite history and make the fact that yes, uh, none of us necessarily liked how uh, Eugene Sawyer was chosen to succeed. Mayor Harold Washington, but Eugene Sawyer was not a traitor to the black race. Uh, he, in fact, carried on many of the policies and programs that Harold Washington has started. And many African-American contractors got contracts that they wouldn't have gotten and didn't get after there was no Eugene Sawyer. Uh, you know, a procurement in the city of Chicago has never uh, exceeded 8%. Uh, since Harold Washington died or Eugene Sawyer left office. And, um, you know, when you look at our population to never exceed 8%, but that was not the case under Eugene Sawyer and Harold Washington. So to rewrite, try to rewrite history and make Eugene Sawyer into some, you know, boogie bear, uh, that's not the case. Oh, I'm with you 100%, 150%. That's my one problem with Punch uh, Nine, the movie, I had Joe Winston on, and I, I'm a big fan of the movie. I advocated. I told him it's just a quibble, really, because ultimately it's not that significant. But they make it seem as though uh, Eugene Sawyer uh, winning the uh, city council election to succeed Harold Washington was part of some Machiavellian plot channel uh, hatched by Daly. Uh, that was a power move by Eugene Sawyer. He got the votes. That's how you do it, Delmarie. You've been in the game. He got the votes. He got black people to support him, and he got white people to support him. He was the mayor of the city of Chicago. And I'll never understand why Tim Evans' forces didn't fall in line and support him and give him help, because he could have used it. But instead, they fought him every step of the way. Uh, and we got how many years of daily as a result? But he, out, in my opinion, it was black power. He outmaneuvered him. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things Jesse Jackson Sr. always said is that Harold Washington's death was the rope and the special election was the grease. Yes. Ancient history. Delmarie and I will be the old people still <laughs> talking about it. The millennials will go, what are you old timers talking about? And Ben, do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be talking about, what a, mis what a mistake that the Tim Evans people made. <laughs> and Monroe Anderson will be going, yeah, I agree. Uh, all right. Uh, so I'll close with a little promotion. We didn't get into the automatic stuff, but we got plenty of time to get into automatic elections. I hope to see Del Marie on December 6th. 
at the Promontory in Hyde Park. We're doing a, uh, a first Tuesday, probably our last first Tuesday for a while, because my partner in crime, Maya Dukmasov, is very pregnant, about to give birth any day. So we'll have to take a little break after that. Uh, but uh, great show. I'm really excited about it. Joe Winston will be there, the director of Punch Nine. It'll be showing clips. Uh, one of Dumbry's uh, oldest friends and clients, uh, older woman Leslie Hairston, will be uh, on the, sh- the panel with us. Uh, she's sort of our hostess because the promontory is in her fifth ward. So we better be in my best behavior. She'll kick me out. Uh, and uh, Rosanna Rodriguez, a great friend of the show, older woman from the 33rd ward on the north side of Chicago, will be pilgrimaging to the south side of Chicago. I'm bringing them together. Uh, and she ran against the Mel machine. Rosanna beat the Mel machine. Richard Mel plays a pivotal role in right. Punch Nine. Uh, and so it's just going to be, I think, a great night of Chicago conversation. Talk about Harold, talk about Council Wars, talk about the Lori Lightfoot years. Uh, Leslie and uh, Rosanna will talk about the future of the city council. So I think it's going to be a delightful. And Joe Winston will be showing clips from his movie, Punch Nine. So uh, that is this Tuesday, December 6th at 630 at Promontory. And uh, Delmarie, I know you're a very busy person, but I hope you can make it out. I will definitely be here. All right, very good. I want to thank you very much, Delmarie, for setting time aside for me. It's always a blast talking politics with you. Well, thank you. All right, that's a great Delmarie Cobb. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.